All right, good morning. This is the day the Lord has made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. Beautiful weather out there. Definitely a day to wander outside and uh, see if we can connect with God in all His beauty and glory of nature. Last week we began um, a mini-series, sort of, uh, specifically looking at Jesus' teaching in what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, while we will be providing a, a handout each Sunday, as you should have received, uh, to be used during the week as a devotional reflection, um, some of the passages that we're going to be covering are going to cover more than one Sunday. So that's going to get a little odd, but uh, we'll try and figure out how to do that. So last week, uh, I also initiated uh, an intro uh, looking at Luke chapter 6. Immediately before the Sermon on the Mount, both Matthew and Luke include a summary description about Jesus and his ministry that is significant to understand the, what was happening right before he began to teach. So we looked at Luke's summary last week, and this morning we're going to highlight and work from Matthew's summary. But before uh, we do that, I want to read both accounts, uh, of, for they are uh, both similar as well as having differences. So Luke chapter 6, coming down from the mountain, Jesus stood on a level place. The twelve and a large crowd of his disciples, along with the great multitude of people from all over Judea, Jerusalem, and the coastal regions of Tyre and Sidon were there. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. Everyone was seeking to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Then he began to teach them. Matthew writes, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great Crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Both of these accounts are descriptions of, of what was happening just prior to Jesus' teaching, what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And both highlight similar aspects of the experience and highlight some of the different aspects of the experience of Jesus and his work and ministry. So this morning we're going to look at uh, Matthew's passage, but before we do that, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for uh, speaking to us, sharing with us about this eternal kind of life that you have made available to us this resurrection life, this with God life. And even as we look at uh, this passage this morning, might we not see it as something old that we're familiar with, but see it again with fresh eyes, with fresh understanding. 
might we still yet learn from you and hear your heart for us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Be with us. Bring to light what you need to bring to light. And might our hearts be open to imagine this kind of life that you are welcoming us to. In Jesus' name. In verse 23, um, here as well as at the end of chapter 9, Matthew summarizes what is sometimes referenced as the threefold ministry of Jesus. He says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness among the people. David, there's a slide for that. While we're familiar, I think, with these three aspects of his ministry, it's important to see them as a unity, not as different and separate. Oh, now Jesus is teaching in church. Okay, now Jesus is out among the people. Now, oh, now, now he's going to heal. But these three elements are at their very core, at their heart. They are the manifestation of the kingdom of God. It's the manifestation of the eternal kind of life that Jesus came to give us. And while I think we might imagine that we're uh, familiar with these, I, I want to look at each one just, just a moment to help us get a, perhaps a clearer understanding about them. Teaching in their synagogues. A little bit like church service on Sunday mornings. In Mark 1, we're told... When the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So who are the scribes that Matthew is making a comparison with here? Well, the scribes were educated men who preserved, copied, expounded the law and the teaching of other scribes and teachers. They were in the Gospels called lawyers, speaking of biblical law, as well as doctors of the law. Though the teaching of Jesus differed from the teaching of the scribes in content, the contrast being drawn here has to do with the source of their material, the source of their teaching. The knowledge of scribes was derived from other scribes, other teachers, other tradition passed down through the centuries, the oral tradition around the law and the written word of God. And that's important to understand. It's going to pop up in the Sermon on the Mount fairly clearly. The knowledge, therefore, wasn't their own. It, it wasn't per se new. It was a restatement, perhaps from an application standpoint, as we all need occasionally. But they, their teaching was supported by quoting the sayings of others. Jesus, however, as we well understand, taught as a spokesman from God. In one way, as Moses had, however, Jesus taught as one having authority in himself. 
Five times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say to you, and I mentioned last week, two of those were stating and naming the Ten Commandments. You have heard it said, but I say to you. Last week I talked about Jesus not being another prophet among prophets. Jesus was God incarnate. In and through Him, we have the most clear picture of God ever revealed. The Apostle John said this of Jesus, No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made Him known. Now, it's interesting to me, I I was thinking of this last week but didn't reference it, Um, I had quoted last week the statement about, and Moses talked with God face to face. And yet, in a time when Moses asked God, I want to see you, God said, well, you can, but you're only going to be able to see my backside, whatever in the world the backside of God looks like. Because he said, if anyone sees my face, they will die. So, John here is highlighting, in my opinion, and the opinion of others, John is highlighting here that in comparison to what the Old Testament authors saw or knew of God, it is as if they didn't know God in comparison to Jesus. And what that says for us and how that helps us is that In Jesus is this amazing clarity in his ministry, in what he did, how he treated people in the cross. We can see God clearly. A God of love, a God of mercy, a God who is not wanting any to perish. Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Apostle Paul said of Jesus, Christ is the visible likeness of the invisible God. Through Jesus, we have the clearest words and descriptions of all Scripture as to who God is, what He is like, and how we're to know Him. Matthew 11, 11, Jesus describes John the Baptist saying, I tell you the truth of all who ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. And yet in John 5, Jesus says, you sent messengers to John and he testified to the truth. He testified about me, but I have a testimony that is greater than John's or of any of the prophets. Some of the pictures or portraits of God that were understood and described in the Old Testament, were cloudy. They were obscure. Paul references this idea when he says, you know, we see through a glass now dimly, but someday we will know as we have been known. But the picture we have of God and Jesus in the cross shows us a God of love and mercy who is patient not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And repentance, I've mentioned on numerous times, as I referenced even last week, meaning to rethink our thinking in light of the revelation of who God is in and through Jesus.
teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Notice that Matthew makes a distinction that Jesus taught in the synagogues, but his proclamation of the kingdom was done in the streets, the marketplace, in the countryside, and along the seashore. Some translations use the word preaching, which we don't tend, which we don't tend to differentiate between that and teaching to a great degree. However, that word proclaim is the idea of Jesus being a herald and one who proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. It's a helpful distinction from preaching. In the Greek world, the herald was a member of the court. They carried a scepter and they were renowned for wisdom and knowledge. When a herald was on official business, they were under the protection of the ruler and in the Greek world were seen as also under the protection of the gods. Heralds were seen as under the authority of the ruler and government and were responsible to deliver news or pass on messages strictly as they are given to them. When we think of the Old Testament prophets, it's, it's not inappropriate to think of them more as heralds and messengers than as teachers or prophets. Their job was to declare the message of God as accurately as they understood it. Jesus, however, as we've see, said before, Jesus knew God as none of them did. In John 14, Jesus says, the words which you hear are not mine but the fathers who sent me. I am a herald. I am under the authority. I carry the scepter of the Father. Jesus frequently said the words, truly, truly, I say to you. Amen, amen. Let it be so. This is true. What I'm about to tell you is really true. Truly, truly. And in a profound way, Jesus did not just declare the good news of the kingdom. He was the kingdom. Where Jesus was, the kingdom was present. And where Jesus is, the kingdom is present. So what did Jesus mean when he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom? At the beginning of his gospel, Mark said, after John the Baptist had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news, the gospel. Matthew says a similar thing in 4:17. From time to time Jesus began to from that time Jesus began to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. To understand why the kingdom of God being at hand is good news, we, we need to recognize and be reminded of what a kingdom is. A kingdom commonly refers to a country or territory or realm ruled by a king or queen. The kingdom of God, as described by Jesus, can be thought of as the realm where God rules, or in more simple language, where what God wants done is done. When God created the heavens, the earth, humankind, the animals, fish, and birds, all of this was part 
of God's kingdom, where what God wanted done was done. This was a part of the goodness of creation. There was order and peace. There was fullness of life. There was purpose. There was cooperation. There was loving, interactive relationship with God and one another. The world was a beautiful place of calm and peace. That was a picture. That was an expression of the rule of God, the kingdom of God. As a part of His kingdom, God assigned dominion, oversight, and rule to humankind. Genesis 1.27, God created humankind in His image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. When Adam and Eve chose to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and become like God, they rebelled essentially against God's rulership. They essentially were looking to become autonomous, self-ruling, and self-governing individuals. And the outcome of taking on our own authority for our life, taking control, taking charge, having the world the way we want it, the outcome of that is brokenness, separation, isolation, and death. Death in their relationship with God, death in our relationship with one another, within ourselves. And with all the earth and all living things, there was now disorder and unrest. There was destruction, fighting, and conflict. There was abuse, taking, hurting, killing. The world became violent and out of control. When Jesus came saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, he was not saying, or else God's going to get you. In fact, it's the very opposite. Here's perhaps a paraphrase of what Jesus might have been saying. Hey, everybody, I've got great news. Something awesome is available to you. And it's right now within your reach. That which humankind lost in the fall, order and peace, fullness of life, purpose and cooperation, loving interactive relationship with God and one another can be restored. The brokenness, separation, and isolation in your relationship with God, with one another, within yourselves can be healed and mended. You can live an eternal kind of life that you were created to live in the kingdom of God right now in your life where love and what is good and best is experienced. But you're going to need to change your thinking about who's in charge. No longer live as the self-appointed ruler of your life, but instead welcome God's loving care and oversight of your life. 
And as a result, you will experience a blessed and super abundant life rather than the perishing life that you have known. Now, that does sound like good news to me. I don't know about you. Entering or living in the kingdom of God is the same thing as having and experiencing eternal life now. It's the same thing as the with God life. The kingdom of God is about a loving, interactive relationship with God and one another in our real life now. It's about being a part of the great family of God. It's about becoming like Jesus in all things. It's it's through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. It's about experiencing God's love and as we do, to love Him, to love one another, and to love His lost and hurting world. In creation, we were designed for this. In the fall, we lost all this. In the atonement, we were restored to this. And through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we are empowered for it again. Healing every disease and every sickness. Jesus didn't simply talk about the kingdom being near and at hand. Everywhere he went, he demonstrated, he expressed the kingdom of God. Showing its presence and availability by healing and setting people free from the perishing life and restoring them to true life, a with God life. Early in Jesus' ministry, he read from the book of Isaiah, describing his mission objectives. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the time of God's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he said, Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this has arrived on earth in me. And in these words, Jesus declares war on the kingdom of darkness. He says, essentially, I am the one Isaiah spoke of. And the time has come. In and through me, the kingdom of God has come. And everything has changed. Now, Christian theology and teaching has tended to focus on the cross and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And for sure, those events were profound and world-changing. And not to diminish them at all, I would say, however, that Jesus' ministry of healing and deliverance and raising the dead occurred prior to the death and resurrection. The kingdom of God was present before the cross. And it is through the entire incarnation event, not just the death and resurrection, but the birth, the life, the ministry, 
the death and resurrection, yes, the ascension and glorification of Jesus, it was through the incarnation and all it included that the world was changed and transformed and that the kingdom came in Jesus and remains to this day through us. The kingdom of God, the presence and activity of God drew near, becoming available in greater measure and effect than it had at any previous time in human history except the Garden of Eden prior to the fall. In this passage, Jesus is essentially laying out, this is what I'm here to do. And Luke's and Matthew's summary shows us that it's true. Yep, that's what he did. These statements about who he was going to minister and what was going to come about through it is a representation of the establishment of the eternal kind of life, pushing back darkness, allowing us to live in the fullness of life that God intends for us. And I'd like to suggest that too many of us are experiencing a perishing life. That we are poor. Poor in the sense of living without the fullness of the resources of God. That we are, some of us are oppressed. We're, we're living in fear and apprehension and anxiety about life around us when God has provided to us all we need. The kingdom of God is at hand. It still is. It's a reality of the presence of God that is right here, right with you wherever you go. The kingdom is never not with you because the kingdom of God is God. It is Jesus. It's the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will be with you always. The kingdom of God is always near but too much, we, we live life on our own. We, we face the challenges and difficulties. We experience the joys without God. It, it, it's our go-to rote, the way we live. But it's not supposed to be like that. Now, there's no question that that connecting with the presence of God, the spiritual realm that's in and through God that is present here with us is difficult. It's hard. But it is here. And Jesus is, what Jesus is going to talk about in the Sermon on the Mount is not going to be rules and regulations to put on you that if you do this, you'll get this, and you do this, and you get that. Do, don't do this, do this, don't do that. It is not about rules. It's going to become a picture of the kind of life we can experience. It, it's to raise and heighten our awareness from the perishing life that we tend to experience and lift our sights to the eternal kind of life that God is making available to us. I want to close with uh, Luke's account again, his summary. Because I believe that within it is an invitation to us, even as I invited us to last week. And that invitation is, 
to see in what was happening there prior to this sermon a reaching out, a, a participation in the pursuit of God and of His kingdom realm in our lives that is vital. I think there's a tendency to sort of live apathetically. Well, God loves me and He's told me He's never going to leave me and, and so, you know, all's going to be good. Well, it's not all good. In the world, we have trouble. But Jesus has overcome the world and wants to overcome the difficulties and the trouble in our own lives to help us journey and walk through them just like he did. So Luke 6, 18 through 21, just as a reflection. And would you just consider this reading again as an invitation? And, and would you ask, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to get from this? What are you highlighting to me? The crowds had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits, addictions, entanglements, were cured. Everyone was seeking to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. It is God's intention that we live and experience this eternal kind of life. That we were created to live in the kingdom of God right now, in our lives, today, where love and what is good is best is expressed. But we must act even as God is acting. We must welcome and invite him to be in charge of our lives, to give him access to those troubling, difficult things, to seek him for the healing, yes, of our bodies, but also of our emotions, our hearts, our memories. Jesus is here with us today. And power is still coming from him to heal us. Not based on our goodness, nor even really too whole lot much on our faith, except that we say, come, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. It's not about our goodness, it's about His goodness. It's about the kingdom of God that is here and available. The life from above, the eternal kind of life, life is available now. You don't have to wait for it till you die. 
You can experience it now. So, my sense for this morning is a little different than what we often do here, but not different from what we do here. Um, I know that there are people here who are suffering from sicknesses and diseases of various kinds. I know that there are people here who are suffering from brokenness in their life, from past encounters and circumstances of their lives, things that have been done to us, things that we have done. I know that there's people here who are suffering from addictions and entanglements, things that are drawing us to the perishing life in contrast to the new life. And my sense is to invite those of you who are willing, who need healing for any or all <laughs> of those things, to stand. And we're going to do what we have called in the past clinic or body ministry. And we're going to gather around those that would stand. And if everybody stands, well, we'll it'll take a little longer, but we'll just kind of do it uh, one for one for another, but it's probably not going to happen. So, um, not come forward and let a few, but stand where you are. If you are in need of healing uh, for any, of any kind of physical condition or something that you sense that's weighty that is hindering you from the fullness, experiencing the fullness of the eternal kind of life, would you stand? And I'm standing with you. I'm up. Cool. All right, the rest of you are the ministry team. And if there's three people standing next to each other, then you can kind of do the joint little thing. But I'd like to see uh, as many as are still seated that feel comfortable praying uh, for people to go find somebody to stand next to, if you would. Clara? Yes. Right. I was going to give some direction for that. So, um, David, would you join me? I'm going to pray for uh, this couple here. And then, um, I think that's close, actually. You're, you're, gonna, you're kind of one person with them. So you guys cluster together, probably. And then we need somebody with, why don't you two come over to Martha? Okay? All right. So if you are needing prayer, would like prayer, and you're in a cluster now where you're going to pray for somebody else, then just make sure you say that, like with you, you stood up, so, but I'm going to join you guys, so that, that'll be, um, I'll, I'll add to your resource there. 
Okay, just here's what you do. You simply ask, what's the condition? What is the circumstance that you're facing? If you're not comfortable sharing that, then just say, you know, it's just something that's really challenging to me. It's a trouble I'm experiencing. If you can share what it is, it's my knee, my back, um, past experience, whatever, share that. If not, that's okay. And then if you would, when you pray, you're going to speak to the condition. You're going to tell the condition what to do, to leave, to go, to be healed, to be mended, be repaired. Okay? That's how Jesus prayed. He said, see, that's a, that was a good prayer. It worked a lot for him. He also placed his hands on people. Power was coming from him. People touched him. And so, it, please ask for permission uh, to lay hands unless you know everybody in your little cluster and you know that you're from the vineyard. We're accustomed to that, but please be appropriate as you do that. Shoulders, top of head, sometimes is usually what we do. Sometimes we'll hold a hand. All right? If you would, uh, begin to pray for one another. And, and the rest can sort of hang out and watch and be with us. And when we're kind of done praying for one another, we are dismissed. You don't need to um, hang out. I'm not going to give any kind of closing thing because I'll probably be getting prayer. <laughs> God bless. Have a great week. Might think-